Welcome to Third Paradigm. We are your hosts. I'm Clarity, and this is my partner, Nuance. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The host and guests come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking. We at Third Paradigm will discuss the ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we the hosts share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. So before we begin, what episode is today? We are discussing uh, cultural appropriation, and it's um, and within the context of you know online and uh, and in person interactions and how we inform the decisions on what's what's cultural appropriation. So. Sounds like a really good topic. It is a very, very hot button topic. I mean, just go on YouTube and on social media. Like the minute somebody mentions something, the forum will blow up over it. It's pretty crazy. So who do we have for today, Clarity? Um, So we have Merida. We have uh, Gian Vincent Almanduras. He's a Filipina uh, artist and cultural ensemble of Michigan, and he's also uh, a music director and vice president. We also have uh, Jamila from Tokicat on Instagram. We have uh, Maxwell. We also have uh, Matthew. We have Pilar, Penelope, and Alisa. Got a lot of guests on today. Yeah, this is fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for coming on today, and welcome to Third Paradigm, everyone. So, for clarity, let's go over some house rules and our structure for this evening. Um, We ask that guests uh, please mute their mic when they're not speaking. This gives respect to other participants and avoids uh, feedback and background noise. Um, Because this is a digital podcast, call lagging may cause interruptions. We apologize for this. It's beyond our control. Technology is technology. Um, we will direct questions to individual participants and then open it up to the floor. Each question will take roughly five minutes to answer in total, not five minutes per person per question. When answering or commenting, please announce yourself so the listeners know who is speaking and uh, uh, the host will try to do this as well. Uh, the last rule we have is to please respect each other and refrain from insulting people. Um, we may have disagreements, and that's wonderful, but we just want to keep it civil. So, yeah. Knives away, everyone. <laughs> so, everybody ready to go? Ready. Yes, indeed. Let's do this. All right. Ready? So, we're going to get started with an icebreaker, and this is the only time we're going to leave it open to the floor. Um, again, as we mentioned, we're going to direct questions when we continue, but for the icebreaker, feel free to jump in. Just announce your first name. So, our icebreaker question for tonight is, what is your favorite Halloween candy? This is Elisa. Candy corns. But you have to eat them one color band at a time. You just can't pop it all in your mouth. 
the oh, I do that too. proper way oh, to I eat a candy corn. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, um, this is, uh, hi, this is Matthew, and um, I definitely love um, candy corn as well. I'm definitely into that too, but I'm also a sucker for definitely Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Reese's. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I would have to say my favorite candy is Take Five. I love it. It's my favorite. <laughs> same, same. This is this is Max. First of all, I have to say, you had me over here clutching the pearls with the candy corn. And two, <laughs> Snickers all day for the Halloween candy. Okay, can't go wrong. Chocolate, peanuts, caramel, nougat. Chocolate can't do it. Oh. <laughs> you poor child. You summer child. <laughs> uh, my name is Pilar. My go-to Halloween candy, any candy, anytime, is Tootsie Roll. Ooh. That's an interesting one. That's kind okay. of a throwback. Classic candy pop too, but it's got to be tips roll base. It's my go-to. Yeah. Mm, that sounds really good now. <laughs> um, this is Merida. I think my favorite Halloween candy has to be Milky Way. Mm. Oh, I hear that too. Totally. How about you, Nuance? Ooh, my go-to candy was... A combination of a couple of things, not all at the same time though, was Reese's, Nerds, and um, there was one more, but I would say Reese's and Nerds is my biggest, biggest go-tos. Those are definitely. What about you, Clarity? Um, I would say I have, uh, I have a really, I have a love for multi milk valve, specifically Whoppers. Um, I. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Maltesers. I'm just gonna put it out there. Whoppers though. And then uh, on, I'm on, I'm on the Take 5 train, but also on the Twix train. And I eat that like Alicia <laughs> eats candy corn. I eat it in layers. <laughs> that is a very satisfying method to eat. <laughs> eat those. <laughs> really anything, anything that comes in bits or parts or has layers to it, gotta take it apart. Yes. So good. Gotta deconstruct to enjoy each each individual ingredient. It almost reminds me of gummy bears. I was definitely the eat the heads first type of kid. This is Elisa. I'm also a big fan of peeps at any time of year, but you have to open yeah. them on the counter for a day so that the outsides get crunchy and the insides are still soft and gooey. Ooh. I never tried that. I, I oh, never tried that. Alisa, try them on s'mores. I don't like no. s'mores because of the whole chocolate thing. Oh, that's right. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, we used to have graham crackers. <laughs> like, the, like the sugar gets all caramelized and then get extra crunchy and there's just a melting gooey center. Oh my gosh. I'll so just roast a, a peep and eat it by itself then. <laughs> yes, definitely do that. When you mentioned the peep, I immediately pictured this YouTube video where they put two peeps inside of a microwave and they put like these little toothpicks in them and they called them dueling peeps. And then whichever one busted the other one first lost. 
I was like, wow. Oh, I've seen those too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, we're really bored. It's a species. <laughs> 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 I'm sure they're doing their thing. Well, excellent answers, everybody. I think we're ready to move into the questions. So thank you. That was really cool. A lot of different perspectives. So, Clarity, would you like to hit the first question? Sure. So our first question for this evening is uh, describe your definitions of cultural appropriation, appreciation, and exchange, and how are they alike and different? And uh, we'll start with Alicia on that one. This is Alisa. That one was really a pretty tough question for me because I'm thinking, well, what exactly is cultural appropriation, which took me to the dictionary. And instead of looking at it as cultural appropriation, I looked at the actual word appropriation and exchange and appreciation. And let's just leave the cultural part off for a moment. So appreciation is the action of taking something of one for, for one's own use. And appreciation is recognition and enjoyment of the, of the good qualities of someone or something. And exchange is an act of giving one thing and receiving another in return. So just by definition alone, there is nothing bad about appropriation. There is nothing bad about exchange and there is nothing bad about appreciation. So if you put the word culture at the beginning of it, how does that instantly make it a bad thing? And it really doesn't. Where it becomes bad is when it becomes cultural misappropriation or degradation or even exploitation. It's a lovely distinction. I love that. And then I got to wondering, okay, people got so upset when Kim Kardashian did her French braids and she called them Boderic braids. I am not a fan of Kim Kardashian, but I also wasn't mad when she called them Boderic braids because I understood why she did it. As soon as I saw her hair, I went, oh, that's the way Boderic had her hair braided in the movie 10. So of course, it makes sense to me that she would say that. But no one gets mad at the people who call Beyonce's Falani braids lemonade braids. What's really the difference? Is it because Kim said it as opposed to John Q. Public? Or what? Now, I just thought she was doing it as an homage to Boderic. Did it make it bad? I don't think so. So how are they different and how are they alike? They're really not. For me, unless you are doing it in a stereotypical way, which then isn't appropriation, it's misappropriation. That's some very good insight perspective. Very, very good. So it is open to the floor. We got about two minutes on this question. So please announce your name and share your thoughts. Hi, uh, this is Jamila. And I appreciate your breakdown for each of the words individually. Um, that was very helpful. 
Um, I wanted to uh, go back and speak about the whole thing with um, Kim Kardashian and wearing the Bulgarian braids. Culturally, when it comes to um, Afri well, hairstyles that are based from um, uh, from a lot of African American hairstyles, when we as a, a people, as Black people, when we were to wear these hairstyles in the workplace, they would be considered unprofessional, unkept, unclean. They weren't considered at all stylish until a person of the opposite race is wearing it. And then that's when it's like deemed as cool or acceptable. And then of course we rename them. We call them Bo Derek Braves. And quite honestly, I, I don't know who Bo Derek is. <laughs> So, um, so for me, that's just kind of like, well, I, I know these as cornrows. Why are these considered cool all of a sudden when, you know, kids I, I grew up with and even myself wore these every day, but were called names and, you know, discriminated, discriminated against, um, against them amongst other hairstyles. So Kim Kardashian is like my favorite example for cultural appropriation because I feel like they get off of appropriating other cultures and people and just stealing in general and making millions off of it but um yeah no that's just uh when it comes to that i, I feel like it's important to uh understand that when it comes to cultural pro appropriation i want to narrow down to uh the paying homage and respect giving the proper original names and the history and, uh, and the oppression behind those hairstyles before another race adopts it and consider it cool in renaming it, which I feel like where it gets disrespectful. Thank this you so is much, Alisa. Sarah. Interesting enough, the movie 10, which was when Bo Derek had the braids, it was a black hairstylist who did her hair. And at the time that the movie came out, it was really no big deal as far as I know that Bo Derek had those braids in her hair, you know, it was sort of a quirky little scene that it was in and people were just like, oh, okay. She had, and probably at the time, I remember thinking, oh, she has Stevie Wonder braids because Stevie Wonder was wearing his hair very similar to that at that time. So oh, I, I didn't oh, I necessarily consider them cornrows, even though that I knew that was more of the technical name for it. But I'm like, oh, those are Patrice Russian braids, or though those are Stevie Wonder braids. I did not, as a, I think that movie came out in, what, 79 or something like that. I was a little bit old, not, not really a little bit, I, mm, I was 10-ish, 11, somewhere around in there when the movie came out. And I thought it was pretty cool to see cornrows on TV. That wasn't Stevie Wonder or Patrice Russian. So, but I understand exactly what you're saying, but is, with this, is the same true for calling Beyonce's braids lemonade braids instead of Falani braids? Very interesting perspectives. We're gonna move on to number two, but I really appreciate those perspectives and the ideas, like the terms being used. And if we call it this, but it's also this, it, it, it's, very insightful so thank you thank you both for sharing that so number two we often pin down cultural appropriation with whiteness equaling power 
what are your initial thoughts and feelings when a marginalized person takes from another marginalized community? And I'm going to direct this question to Merida. Thank you so much. Um, this is Merida. So we actually had a really interesting example of this actually just this past summer. Um, on C, uh, I believe it was on Good Morning America, I'm sorry. Um, Morgan Bullock, she is an African-American Irish dancer. Now, she does traditional Irish dance to more modern songs like uh, artists like Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B. Now, in the video, Bullock even says that she was very nervous to post the video because Irish dance, uh, for clarification, I am Irish. I'm actually second generation of an immigrant. Um, I'm the granddaughter of an immigrant. And Irish dance sort of arose out of the oppression of the Irish people by the English. Um, in this case, this is a traditionally marginalized group of people, an African-American young woman who is taking from a culture that is predominantly white. Um, the flip side of this was very interesting because she didn't receive backlash. She received a lot of support. In particular, in Ireland, she received a ton of feedback from the older generations and the younger generations, encouraging her to continue with it which I believe ties in a little bit to what we were talking about in that first question. Cultural appropriation is a very American and westernized topic. A lot of times in countries like Japan and Korea, they don't understand why people are upset when they see Americans wearing um, excuse me, kimono or participating in a tea culture or kabuki theater. They see it as good that people are getting involved in the culture and getting hands-on with it and enjoying it. So when we talk about it here in the States, it's typically because it has deeper ties to racism. We tend to see it as Jamila pointed out, what something that one race we criticize in one race is acceptable for another race. Um, I think that having Ms. Bullock going in and doing these dances is the best example of true cultural participation, not appropriation. You can participate in other people's culture in a respectful manner without having to know every single detail about it and put it out and open it up for other people to partici participate in and partake in and enjoy. That is an excellent response, and I remember seeing that article about her. I believe she actually ended up joining Riverdance because of that. They saw her performances, and they were that moved by her. So thank you so much for sharing. We do have three minutes on the question, so it is now open to the floor. I, Pilar here, I absolutely agree with the appreciation um, aspect here of the one minority uh, appreciating another, another culture. Um, I'm sure Guillaume probably has the same kind of idea here. Um, our, the local mariachi is made up not of predominantly Latin American individuals. It is made up of white individuals, Filipino individuals, and Latin American individuals. If you appreciate and show in a respectful manner this culture, I don't see that in any harm in any way, as long as you're doing it in an appropriate manner. It's not saying I'm putting on this native princess dress or costume and for Halloween and saying that I'm appreciating the culture. It's learning, it's knowing it's the proper thing and showing a respectful appreciation of someone else's culture. 
Yeah, thank you for that answer. I think um, it's definitely, um, it actually kind of ties into our um, next question, which is, um, when do you feel it's appropriate to call an outfit a costume versus uh, regalia, folk clothing, or traditional? And this is, you know, i.e. going to cultural festivals versus, you know, putting on something for Halloween. Um, I think uh, we were going to shoot that question to uh, Matthew, unless anyone had anything to add to that last one. Hey, um, uh, am I good to go? Yeah, no, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. All right. And hi, uh, this is Matthew, and um, and going back to what we were talking about, um, um, and I was looking up um, um, the difference between clothing and costume. Um, it said um, that they're both nouns. Clothing is um, any wide, um, any uh, a wide variety of articles. You usually made of fabrics, you know animal hair, you know, animal skins, or any combination thereof used to cover the human body for warmth or to preserve modesty or for fashion. And uh, for a costume, it's a style of dress that includes garments, accessories, and hairstyles, especially as characteristics of a particular country, um, period, or people. For example, you know, you have like a, a Highland you know, costume for a dancer, for example, going back to what we were talking about in the previous question. For me, um, it's very much um, a Halloween store situation. If you go to a Halloween store and you see, oh, Indian princess, you know, or you know, something like that, and there's usually something, you know, to me, off about it. Um, um, it'll be like, you know, like the sexy version. You know, you'll be much more shorter skirt. You know, you know, with like, you know, the, the lingerie, you know, and the knee high stockings and all that. Or, or something you know um, in traditional costuming, you know, you know, a little bit, you know, Halloween costumes. I mean, not traditional like clothing, you know, wise, um, like a little baggy, or like you know, some things are like you know a little off, or just general, you know, stereotypical stuff like you know the um, the Indian headdress, or like the war paint, um, bows and arrows, you know, stuff like that. But here, um, I go, but here where I go back to traditional clothing, you know, is I'm. Is I'm sure you know, um, that they would know what to wear for a certain occasion, and also um, for um, you know this color for this occasion, and this um, and this and that, and and also probably more fit better, you know, and you have the proper um, accessories or you know things to wear for that certain occasion or for that or for that culture, um, in my point of view. So and, so and so to me, the difference between clothing and costume is that costuming sort of takes what is known in a different culture and sort of um, alters it. While I, well, to me, clothing you know, kind of repre really represents you know, actual um, what people would actually wear. That is very insightful. We do have three minutes on this question, so it is open to the floor. So... We were open to hear perspectives. Um, this is Jamila. I just wanted to elaborate on what you were saying. Um, oh, please do. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, so, like, just with the, the history of, like, what Halloween is and what dressing up on Halloween is, it's just, like, dressing mm -hmm. up as, like, this scary something um, 
back in the day, like it used to be a hobo or something or a ghost, uh, things like that when my parents were like kids. And it's been interesting to me to see how, or unfortunately of culture, of other cultures too, like Native Americans, unfortunately. And um, like you were saying, it's interesting to see how like through history, it's really evolved into more of this like fetishy thing, like seeing the sex Indian princess or the, the sexy geisha or something like that. And it's just really interesting. Yeah, don't how, and, and oh, yeah, for oh, sure. And, and how they take like these um, ceremonial garbs and, uh, you know, things that somewhat pertain and cheapen it and <laughs> and make it look yeah, exactly. And um, it's just a, a, a mockery, really. So I think that's what differentiates, <laughs> sorry, I can't talk today, of the differences <laughs> between costume and cultural garb, where cultural garb is more so for that culture, that spiritual event going on during that, that season or that time, versus like a costume is more like this fetishized, over-exaggerated mockery of another person's culture. Right. I um, oh, go ahead. here again. Um, so I am a Mexican and a native, and my biggest mm -hmm. biggest thing here is always the headdresses worn at music festivals. Stop mm. that shit. <laughs> that is so insulting. It is unbelievably insulting. Yeah. Each feather that someone gains from dancing is a gift. It is given by tribal elders. It is not a piece that we stick on our outfit. It, it is sacred because usually they're eagle feathers or some other large predatory bird. And just sticking feathers all over your hair and saying, oh, I'm a native princess. It, 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 it's insulting. It is actually insulting. It is probably my biggest disrespectful yeah. about it. Because you work hard for years, for a lifetime in some aspects, to earn these feathers, whether from winning dance or from doing something else in your tribe. They're not given lightly. You have to have special licensing to even own them because either eagle feathers, it's a nationally federally protected bird, and it's, it's just, it's terrible. I don't like it. Mm. That's our biggest thing. Um, most of the time, if you are wearing native clothing at like a powwow or some other dance thing, that's completely fine. But the feathers are a religious symbol. It's like someone wearing rosary for a fashion statement to us. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's not a fashion statement. It is, it's sacred. And that is where it comes to me between a costume clothing and regalia because there are certain other things and other cultures that are I guess costuming or garb like dance wear for certain Mexican states it varies from state to state but that's not the typical clothing they would wear daily even in historical aspects that is specifically a dance costume but it's not a Halloween costume level 
That is wonderful. Right. That is a really good perspective. I think it has to do with the um, events that you're talking about. You know, when we think of costumes, it's Halloween. It's just like a one. It's a one night of the year. You're having fun. It's not like a. It's not a serious thing. But in terms of like native clothing, it's um, and especially the um, regalia and the headdresses are. It's a religion. It's you know. It, I would go so far as to say it's. It's less like um, wearing a rosary and more of taking the Pope's hat, you know? It's like that level of, like, um, of sacredness and, like, to the religion, like, to the culture itself. Absolutely. Um, so we'll move on to question number... Question? I'm sorry? Do we have more time on this question? This is Elisa. Um, we are kind of filled up on the time on that particular question. Did you have like a quick uh, side statement? Well, I have um, dressed as a Native American for Halloween, and I have also dressed as a geisha for Halloween, and I have also been La Katrina for Halloween. Um, I think for me, Someone could probably look at it and say, well, yeah, you were culturally appropriating or misappropriating. But I, I have this thing, when I did the, the geisha, I actually looked up um, things about the, the, the geisha and what exactly they are and why they dress the way they do and why their makeup is the way that their makeup is because I wanted to do it in a more respectful way while still being able to wear that type of apparel. Um, the same with the Native American. When I did the Native American, the dress was very similar to that of the ladies' traditional dancer. Um, if I would have had money for buckskin, it would have been made out of buckskin. But um, I think a lot of times it really comes into play on what you're trying to do when you're doing it. And I can under totally understand Pilar um, saying, you know, you know, you you just don't wear a headdress to Burning Man, you know. But at the same token, she might look at me and go, you just don't dress as a Native American for Halloween. So I, in in the end, though, I really think a lot of times it has to do with what the person who's doing it mindset is at the time that they're doing it. So I have, I have one last statement um, in regards to this. Would you be comfortable with someone wearing blackface as a Halloween costume? Or is it okay because you, you're trying to appreciate someone's culture? As, as a, a Native person hearing that you have worn Halloween costumes and you don't, think that it's an issue because you think that you were doing it respectfully if I respectfully dressed in blackface, is well, that okay? blackface was never a thing of being respectful to begin with. So I would say, no, I would not be comfortable with it. Now, however, one of the things that I did not disclose is I am part Native American. To look at me, you don't know that. And there is um, some Asian in my lineage. It's been way far back, but it is there. So when I personally do things, I try my best to not do it from a disrespectful point of view. 
And I try to do it as a way of showing an appreciation that I do see the beauty and the things that I am trying to put out there and still be able to express myself creatively. But yes, I totally understand what you're talking about, which is why this is such a great subject. Yeah, wow. thank you all for, for sharing so so and and being so vulnerable in your opinions. That's really lovely to hear. That um, I like. I love hearing people share like their true true feelings on things. And um, I think we're moving on to the next question. Uh, nuance. Do you want to take that? Yeah, absolutely. Again, thank you all for being vulnerable and being open with your perspectives on this one. So question number four is, how has history played a role in cultural appropriation? Um, and I'm going to direct this one to Maxwell. Miss Max, um, and, and in general, history plays an effect on most all things. So it would be no surprise that it played an effect on cultural appropriation. So I'm like to speak to like black things, I'm a black dude. Um, so things from subculture will just automatically, just naturally just bleed into like the main culture, you know, on its own, rap and all that stuff like that, break dancing, all that stuff, you know? It's just that when when black people or like people that's, or people of a subgroup are doing something that's looked to be frowned upon, and then somebody like who has some modicum of influence or just somebody from the predominant group just picks it up like, oh, I like this and I want to do it, and then they get recognition for it, like, oh man, this kind of for example. One of the things that kind of had the kind of had a cross just stuck in just stuck in me for a minute was when Molly Cyrus was twerking. Now, I've seen black women twerking for years. Nobody, none of these people really cared. They kind of looked at it as a sexual thing, and now it's just a commonplace dance that she kind of got props for starting for some rare reason. And it's like she really didn't start that and she just kind of like oh i like doing i like the, i like that they're doing this i like doing it let me do it and now she got recognition for it that's pretty much the problem like through history is like taking things from other people and kind of like making it seem like oh this is me i did this this is what i bring this is what i brought forth when this the subgroup has been doing this for years and it's just been looked down upon and frowned upon and just really pretty much it excellent input thank you so much we got about three minutes on this question so it is open to the floor hi this is jamila and um i wanted to elaborate on the whole uh like dance culture well the idea like some dance culture and how that's being appropriated. Um, so like with TikTok, I cannot think of all these kids' names, but uh, 
Charlie D'Amelio, I think is her name. She's very popular. All the kids know about her. Anyway, she's well known for doing a bunch of TikTok dances. And I remember about a year or two ago, she was getting into some trouble because she would copy these uh, dance moves from, you know, these little black girls that's been doing this. You know, they only have maybe like a few thousand subscribers while Frank uh, Camille D'Amelio, whatever her name is, has like millions of subscribers and she would not pay any homage, never shout any of these girls out that she took these dance moves from. So when you had said that about uh, Miley Cyrus, it immediately popped in my head of uh, more recent times uh, with the whole TikTok sensations and how just in general, like, just in social media and YouTube, how a lot of young black kids will come up with like songs or sayings or dance moves and they are like constantly not being recognized. And then before you know it, they, the other kid who got, who blew up from it is on Ellen or something for some reason. And it's just like, okay, but this has been been done before. So what is this recognition coming from? So yeah. A little snippet on it. Hi, this is um, uh, this Penelope. Is... No, you can go ahead. Oh, Matthew. Penelope, did you have something like you'd like to share? Uh, or Merida? Yeah. Or? I had a question about the appropriation specifically around uh, twerking. Uh, do you think that it is still cultural appropriation, especially when Miley Cyrus does it, if she's trying to utilize some of that culture to try and, um, you know, talk about certain issues about sexual freedom and um, sexuality in general, especially for women, and how uh, maintaining this, like, outward image of um, purity is, is seen to be super important, whereas it's not entirely human, as people do have different urges and everything like that. Um, I feel like, sorry, this is Jamila again. Um, I feel like when it's done out of character, like, let's be honest, Miley Cyrus is a country singer. <laughs> like, see, uh, when, when artists start or, you know, people who are well-known in the industry start adapting lifestyles or slang or dance moves just to be trendy at the time and to catch, like, the youth's attention, I think it's a little attention grabby, a little cultural appropriate because it's like, that's not you, Miley. And as we've seen through the years, she went right back to doing her country music, right back to doing her pop music. Nothing wrong with that, but it's just kind of like, like stick to what you know. It's okay to immerse yourself in like a culture and learn and practice dance moves. Honestly, I could care less what a person does, even when it comes to like um, women's sexuality, do whatever the heck you want. But also there's other very important topics amongst uh, femininity and uh, women's sexuality, sexuality and freedom that can easily be discussed as well, like rape culture and, you know, when, what, you know, just being a woman in general, there's bigger topics and things that can be said and done versus just twerking. But uh, yeah, that's absolutely. Um, so we're going to wrap this question up. Um, I think I heard Merida and Matt will let you give um, your input, and then we'll move on from there. So Merida and Matt. 
Um, this is Merida. So I have very strong feelings on this one for a couple of reasons, because I think in these such cases, what we're seeing is not cultural appropriation, it's racism. Because if we want to talk about dances and what's being appropriated and what's not, then the example I brought up with uh, Ms. Bullock being an American, African-American young woman who's Irish dancing, that by the definition you have defined with twerking is cultural appropriation that she's participating in. The difference here, and I think what, what we have to recognize is that the way that they respond that somebody responds and society responds by being more willing and more accepting of something because a white artist is doing it, that's racism. That is, that is in the response that we have given by saying it's not okay when this person does it, but it's okay when this person does it. Um, and at points, I think that's not so much about the artist. It is about how we as a society have decided to respond to that. Now, I think it is important for the artist who is expanding their dance repertoire or expanding their art culture and participating in that to be like, hey, thank you so much for the support. Let me redirect you to the people who taught me this, to the people who originated this style of dance. Because if you like what I do, you're gonna love what they do. So I think there's a big difference between participating saying that it's a cultural thing versus a racism thing. Excellent input, Matt, and then we'll move mm -hmm. on. Um, they pretty much covered what I was you know, going to say, honestly. Excellent. So thank you all for sharing that one. That one was a very, very open-ended question, but I really appreciate in hearing all these different perspectives. It's really, really, really well in depth. So Clary, would you like to hit the next question? Yeah. So, uh, moving on, why do you feel so many people get instantly uncomfortable and or fired up with discussing or even mentioning cultural appropriation? Key examples is, you know, things like down likes on YouTube videos or uh, going so far as to publicly humiliate towards people who do bring it up. Um, and I think we were going to shoot that question to Jamila. Hi, so um, <clears throat> with that one, I think the reason why a lot of people get uncomfortable about talking about cultural appropriation is when it, what it boils down to is talking about race, <laughs> the big R word, and nobody likes talking about race because it's just such a fine line, especially in America, it's just very touchy, gets people shaky and nervous and sweaty in the palms, and so it's just kind of like when you start telling people what they can and can't have and what they can and can't wear because it's trendy or feels good, people get really offensive about that and, you know, want to start running to the podium to say, well, because this and that. And, you know, obviously what it boils down to is, you know, of course, your research and your intentions and, you know, not make it a mockery. But um, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why people get so uncomfortable about the subject of cultural appropriation, because nobody likes to be told what to do, and you know, yeah. And we just live in a in a world where we do share. It's easier to share culture because we are seeing each other online and watching videos from all around the world. So it's 
it's hard to not be like, oh, this is cool. I want to start wearing this or that. But it's like, okay, but do you really know what, you know, these patterns mean? Do you really know what these beads and colors mean? And, but yeah, so it gets pretty chaotic. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think we've, we've still got a couple minutes on this question, so if anybody else wants to uh, jump in and share. Uh, hi, Pilar. Um, I just want to say I completely agree with Jamila with the, do you know what this means before you put it on? That's a huge call out there. Because um, in, in general, I don't mind if you're wearing something of some other culture. Uh, most cultures appreciate it. Like you're encouraged in Japan to wear kimono for special events and things. But are you going to wear geisha makeup to that special event while you're not a geisha? No, you, you wouldn't. That would be doing something without knowing or inappropriate, or you're not going to wear feathers with your native regalia because you don't know what they mean. Totally. I think we've still got yeah. a little more time on that. So if anybody else wants to oh, have anything, any last comments to I add? Oh, I do. Uh, this is Matt right here. And I feel like, um, you know, and this is just me um, saying um, because, um, because, I, because I'm a YouTube watcher. Uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, um, Lindsay um, Ellis, um, she made a very interesting video about a cultural appropriation um, when she was talking about um, Disney, um, especially um, Pocahontas, um, Moana, and Lilo and Stitch. You know, those three movies that both that <coughs> feature um, indigenous um, female characters as well. Um, and according to and and from from her point of view, um, um, why you know, I think you know it's a very you know, difficult subject is because it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Because on one hand, you know, it's very you know nice to see like a um, a Mexican, um, okay, what's the name of the, um, the musicians? Um, oh, it's really like me until I remember it. Um, a Mexican um, musicians doing like a... Oh, Mariachi. Mariachi. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you, thank you. Um, that on, on one hand, it's kind of nice to see a mariachi band performing a German polka, you know, style song, but then if you flip that coin and you see um, Gwen Stefani in an Indian princess outfit um, in a music video, it's like, ooh, that's probably not a good idea. And that's why it's very, like, muddled um, confusion because, because on one hand, kind of nice. On the other hand, ooh, were you really thinking that was a good idea? And that was... That, that's pretty much you know, what I was thinking. I, I pull out here again. I would also like to maybe bring out the fact that when people get uncomfortable calling out, or not calling, but uncomfortable discussing culture appropriation, they also feel like they might be called out for being racist, for thinking that things aren't as much appropriation or misappropriation as others. And, and I think that's part of that fine line, too. Well, what if I've done something and people think I'm racist? 
or I don't want to discuss this because I might come off as racist, when they could just be searching for information. The, the number of times um, white folks ask me questions and, well, I don't want to be racist, but can you answer this for me? Absolutely. You know, asking questions about a culture or discussing it does not make you racist or inherently racist for not knowing any of these answers. Ask questions. It's better than not knowing and going on with the wrong, with the wrong impression. I'm sorry, and interjecting one more time. And I think, you know, going um, to what you were saying, I feel like it's also like the way you ask the question too, you know, that's also kind of a nice like line between racism and not, because if you're something like, Jay Paul, and you're in Japan, you're kind of lamenting people down there, that may be very, what's the word, awful? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for everyone for sharing that. Um, oh, no, I was just in the words. Oh, sorry. Yep. So thank you, everyone, for sharing that one. That was that was very, very good. Um, we're going to move again now from looking at things from a little bit more of an objective perspective outside, and now we're going to kind of focus a little bit more inwards on our personal experiences. So number six, have you ever called out cultural appropriation? And this can be in person or online, totally open. Um, and describe that experience and what motivated you. And I'm going to direct this at Pilar. Okay, so I have not had to direct this anybody personally or in person. Um, it's mostly been in regards to things I've seen online, people posting, in particular, this one maternity photo shoot. And it was, I don't know if anybody saw this, but she was posing with a horse in a native dress, and it was a the loosest term of native dress uh, as possible that I could give. It was definitely a costume piece that was bought from, from some Halloween store and very clearly a fake headdress, but a full war bonnet headdress. Um, and she was doing a maternity shoot in it. And I don't know which one of my friends shared it, but it was, it was shared and I slammed on that so fast. If she was native and she wanted to do a shoot in her regalia, she would have in her proper regalia. She chose to put on a costume, a Halloween type costume piece with a war, fake war bonnet, which is very inappropriate, and do this shoot. And my friends thought it was cool. And um, no, no, you absolutely, I had to say something because even if they were native, that war bonnet is inappropriate 100% because it is not her war bonnet. War bonnets are not given to women, typically. It's a full war bonnet. Those are given to, to, to war chiefs, and we don't have any living war chiefs in, in present-day Native America. Um, the last war chief, true war chief, was um, a gentleman named Joseph, and he earned his war, war chieftainness in World War II. Um, so it, it's inappropriate across the board. I had to say something. You don't, you don't do that. I've had other friends try to go to festivals. Well, what do you think of this? And they post a picture online, and it's feathers everywhere. Don't, no. <laughs> just, just no. Stop with the war bonnet imitation. 
it's very inappropriate. It's a religious item. It's earned, and you didn't earn any of it. Stop wearing it. Excellent response. I can tell there was a lot of passion behind that answer. So thank you for being very open and very passionate about that response. And same with everyone. This has been a wonderful, wonderful episode. Yeah. Um, so we do have about three minutes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just adding that I was just thanking everyone so much for being so vulnerable and open with their responses. This was great. Yes, thank you so much. There's about three minutes left on the question, so it is open to the floor. This is Elisa. Go ahead, Merida. Oh, thank you. Um, I will be very quick so you can speak, too. Um, I have mixed feelings on call-outs, primarily because if you don't belong to that culture, I think it could be very tricky to try to call someone out and it's very dangerous to decide that that's not okay when you're not a part of someone else's culture. Um, I am not Japanese. I would not dream of walking up to someone and going, you are wearing that kimono wrong. Even if I know all the pieces and how to put on a kimono, because that's not my culture. I'm not going to try to speak for somebody else and say, well, they would feel this way about it because they may not. And you do run into the problem of there are people who are of mixed heritage, who are of mixed race, or have been adopted into different cultures. And it would be a really horrifying and petrifying moment for me if, you know, I put on my traditional Irish garb and someone was like, you can't do that. And I'd be like, I am Irish. But now I would feel awkward ever putting that on again because someone decided that, I was out of line for whatever reason. Uh, so I think it's, call-outs are one thing when it's very obviously inappropriate and that they're very obviously wearing it in a mocking fashion and purposely trying to be a jerk about it. But it can also be very damaging if you approach it in the wrong way. Absolutely. I understand that. So this I is Elisa. This is Elisa, and interestingly enough, <laughs> When I did dress as um, a geisha one Halloween, my sister says, hey, I would like to do it with you. And another, and a buddy of mine also said the same thing. I ended up having to call my buddy out on it because she said, oh, so we're going to dress as Japanese hua's. And I said, absolutely not. I am dressing as a geisha. And she says, yeah, that's what I said. I said, no, that is not what a geisha is. And she was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, no, a geisha is something completely different than what you're speaking of. What you're speaking of is, it, is I believe it's pronounced uh, oiran. Now, if that's what you want to do, you go ahead and do that. But I'm dressing as a geisha. So, you know. Other people may have called me out for dressing as a geisha, but I ended up having to call my friend out because she thought that a geisha was something different than what one was. Oh, man. That's that's a... My jaw would have hit the floor, too, and I'm sorry, but she would probably not be my friend after that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can't always discard people because they're ignorant. (laughs) You can only teach them sometimes, and hopefully they get better. Absolutely. Thank you again. You get rid of them. 
<laughs> and um, we're going to continue to the next question because this is the other side of the coin. So again, um, it's basically the same side, but the other side now. So have you ever been called out on cultural appropriation and describe that experience and how did you feel? And we're going to start that with Jamila. Hi, so this is very personal because there's been times where I've had to call myself out on cultural appropriation. Um, years ago, I used to wear Indian-style tunics. I used to go to the thrift store, specifically look out like Indian-style tunics because I love the style, I love the pattern, I loved everything about it. Only problem was, once I started doing research on what cultural appropriation was, I was like, whoa, I'm literally wearing these styles just because I think they're cute and cool and that's not it. Like, no. <laughs> like, so I, I stopped wearing it years ago. But yeah, I've had to call myself out on cultural appropriation myself. Um, also, recently, I had a conversation with one of my coworkers and she was telling me how she had wore chopsticks in her hair and how someone, um, when she was at the mall, she said someone had pulled her over, um, took her to the side and was like, hey, your outfit's real cute, but yeah, those chopsticks in your hair, that's cultural appropriation. That's not right. And when she came back to me with that story, I had to think for a minute because I was like, well, not really. And here's why. I think we all know globally what chopsticks are and what we use chopsticks for. And they're not used in a ceremony. They're not used uh, in any certain way aside from a, a, a eating utensil in another culture. Now, although it may look silly, like if she was to go over to Japan or China and it, it would look silly if she had chopsticks in her hair, I didn't think it was oppressed. I don't think her wearing chopsticks in her hair was oppression, oppressing um, a Japanese or Chinese person. And I didn't think it was, um, you know, being done in like a mocking, in a mocking way. So that's, I guess that's kind of one of those things where it kind of is like a slippery slope. But again, I, I had to explain to her, I don't think it's a bad idea just because of what chopsticks are. But yeah, those are just some instances that I've come across with myself and with having a conversation with a coworker. Thank you for sharing that. If um, I think we've got maybe like a minute or two left, so if there's someone else that wants to jump in with their own experience. Yeah, this is Dion. <clears throat> cool. Um, so this experience isn't actually like personally about, of me, but I was with um, a friend a while ago, um, a few years ago, um, and my friend, he's he's uh, as far as anyone knows, he's he's white and he looks white, but he does wear his hair uh, since he has long hair, uh, his blonde hair in. Um, kind of, you know, kind of like a, a dread fashion. Um, and we were hanging out in, in public one time with a, a, some friends. And then this um, lady who appears, um, oh, not lady, uh, younger woman um, appears uh, and she kind of calls my friend out for being racist because he has his hair in this fashion. And this, this young woman, she's African-American, she's, she's calling him out for 
um, being racist um, and for not knowing any better. But one of our the friends in our group was actually also African American, and she, she she defended him, saying, "No, he's not doing anything wrong. He's not using this fashion statement in any way that being um, derogatory towards African American people or in any way that's um, oppressive." Um, but it kind of opened my eyes um, to, you know, the different perspectives people might have on just certain, how certain aspects of culture when they're taken um, and used in different contexts can be interpreted differently by different people. Context. Very good word. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Elisa. Back with your friend wearing the chopsticks, Jamila, were they actually chopsticks or were they hair sticks? Because hair sticks were used by many people throughout culture or throughout history, I mean. So, you, you can't, it's, and, and I'm asking not as a, hey, let me know <laughs> type of a thing. I'm just really wondering, were they chopsticks or hair sticks? Yeah, she described them to me as uh, chopsticks, and I had used that example. I was like, well, hair ornaments have been used from all cultures in one's hair, but uh, specifically to use chopsticks, I don't think it was offensive. But yeah, she described them to me as chopsticks. Excellent. This is really, really good. So thank you again. Clarity, would you like to move to number eight? We got just two questions yeah. left. So how do you feel society should progress forward when confronting cultural appropriation and what steps should one take? And uh, we were shooting that to GM. Yeah, so um, I was really eager to answer this question, mostly because I'm sitting as the vice president of an arts and culture organization um, of a minority culture that's not typically portrayed um, in the parts around, around here in the Midwest. Um, I think it's very important for people in our, in our position, in my position, to be aware of appropriation, appreciation, and cultural exchange when it comes to something like co- traditional culture. Um, and I think from a Western standpoint, what matters uh, is a lot to do with what I, I think I mentioned this in the story earlier, but I said the word context. Um, and especially when we're, when we're doing something like a cultural presentation, we usually, I usually refer to three main um, guide, guide points when we're doing something like that so that we try our best not to misrepresent anything, any aspect of our culture. Um, in any way that might be seen as offensive or, um, I guess, um, bad. <laughs> but these are some things I picked up, you know, from, uh, there are several workshops that were being held everywhere, which is good as, as a society, you have workshops on being more aware about cultural appropriation. Um, so the three, anyway, the three guiding principles that I like to follow. Uh, the first one is like uh, the intent of the presentation. So like, what is your 
intent by using or taking an aspect of a culture that may or may not be your own. And what is your, uh, what do you intend to do with this? What are you presenting out there um, by using this aspect of the culture? And then the second thing um, is the context of the representation. So in what circumstance are you using or portraying this cultural aspect or this value? And then finally, um, kind of the attribution of the content that you're that you're displaying. So like before representing something from a culture that may or may not be your own, but did you research um, on its cultural significance? And where did you acquire that research or that information? So are your sources credible? Are they verifiable? Are they um, direct? Um, but the, the thing about these, I think, um, when you're when you're in a position of presenting something like this, uh, you're taking culture that may or may not be your own, um, and you're kind of combining it with something else, right? a, a different your own culture. I think that's when something like exchange begins to happen, um, and as a society, I think that's what, what that's what kind of moving forward is more of cultural exchange. And what we're trying to get towards is cultural exchange rather than cultural appropriation. Um, and to me, exchange, I think, is when one or more cultures uh, culminate in a positive and constructive discourse. And in that instance, we get something more of a fusion. I wouldn't call it authentic anymore, in a sense, because it's new. It's not necessarily... Um, it's not necessarily authentic back to its source, but it's referencing something from that. If I may, Wonderful. Mr. add an example to that. Um, I haven't seen this wonderful cross-culture between um, Jap Japanese-style art and hip-hop and um, Black culture mesh. When I was over in Japan, I saw like such a interesting blend of like hip hop culture, um, black culture integrated into a lot of like subcultures into a lot of Japan's youth. And the same with a lot of like street clothes that we see here. I see time and time again like Japanese writing or some type of art style coming from Japan that's like plastered on some. Um, of some type of shirt or something like that. And again, that kind of goes into the example of like research and what it is, but it's interesting. I've definitely seen that cultural exchange between like those two worlds, so yeah. Yeah, lovely responses. Um, uh, and I, I just wanted to add too, like the talking about uh, cultural exchange, um, personally, uh, from my own personal experience, um, it, there's uh, the faith that I was raised with is called Baha'i, and that's something that is um, pretty integral is the blending of cultures, and not so much so where it's done in a disrespectful way, 
but um, they do like there's a race unity day picnic and a lot of times they do multicultural events like that and it's and it's a way of presenting one's culture in a respectful manner and it's a way of you know it's it's a way of engaging with other cultures while also respecting it so like you know having having people from other cultures like um, there's a famous um, native singer named Kevin Locke and he would come and do singing and dancing or you know people like that um, being able to showcase uh, like a tea ceremony and having those things be shown is um, I think it's, it's a way of making it equitable and making it like as um, John was saying it's a, it's a practice that like you can show you can showcase the culture and um, while also being respectful of um, and, and checking sources and making sure that it's done in a, in a respectful way. Absolutely. Thank you everyone again. I, we keep saying it, but it's yes. just, this is probably our most like intense episode we've had where there was a lot of emotion and I can hear it in all of your responses, all of your perspectives. From, again, from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you all. So the last question that we have is describe your feelings with sharing today and name one thing that someone else said that touched you. And we're going to direct that to Penelope. Hi. Uh, so I really could not decide on what touched me the most, so I just kind of wrote a little bit, like a sentence for each question. Uh, I'd like to read that now. Um, well, first, I love the name of the podcast and how you guys uh, seek a space for maintaining integrity that fosters an environment for productive conversation. And uh, talking about the genuine nature of appreciation really helped in the beginning to open the thought process behind any misrepresentation that can possibly lead to appropriation which can help to rationalize the otherwise very superficial perspective of how we view culture like what was discussed in the references to Irish dance and mariachi and the diversity in the talent. But as was discussed in the question regarding um, costume versus regalia, the notion of respect is important to take into account along with the environment. Um, which led perfectly again into how there seems to be a gap in respecting history and understanding history and trying to um, pass and regard history and culture as a trend, which again opened up the conversation to address the uh, public response to trends and personal motivations that might not be educated or <clears throat> put in the effort to understand the real societal impact of perpetuating racism by embracing trends. Um, taking society into account is important, especially regarding culture, because it ignites a response in people who have a high amount of respect for that culture, which can be triggering for everyone involved. So it's important to be mindful of how you may be addressing the interpreted appropriation. Being called out on appropriation and being triggered pushes people to start that internal conversation about why they thought something was okay and asking the right people the right questions to understand how to handle maintaining integrity. These questions are vital to starting both the external societal conversation and internal conversation to embody and manifest the change we as equal humans want to see in our world to feel valued and respected and fostering environments to help others feel safe in doing the same. 
I just really wanted to thank everyone for providing that environment for me here today and all the excellent questions that helped to build the conversation. Wow, yeah. Thank you so much, Penelope, for that response. That was perfectly wrapped up. I mean, you touched on almost every question and aspects of things that everyone talked about. So it's amazing. Thank you for that response. Um, I think we can. We have a little bit of time, so um, if anybody else has anything that they wanted to share about their feelings sharing today, or something that someone said in particular that really impacted them or touched them. Yeah, this is Max. Uh, kind of hard to follow up that, you know. So I'm just gonna keep it. Uh... The thing that really, the green that really got me was um, getting more information about the. Native American headdresses or native headdresses. Um, I knew they were important and they were significant, but I didn't know to what level and to what degree. So I'm always looking to learn something new and that was interesting to me. This is Elisa. Um, I think we have to remember that as peoples, we are more alike than we are different. And what we tend to see in the media, which is what brings our attention to a certain culture or item, isn't always just that culture. So as we were saying um, earlier with Jamila and the hair sticks, most times we do think of them as being a Asian culture thing. However, that was not the only culture to ever use hair sticks. But the media has pretty much always shown it to us as being something of that culture alone. So when we come to the word, the, just the word appropriation and the action of taking something for one's own use, again is not necessarily a bad thing and we will do it and not know that we're doing it because hey johnny down the street has this thing called a car that's pretty cool i want a car too so you're that is not necessarily an exchange but it would be an appropriation because now you are taking something that you have seen from someone else for your own use. And um, I really like Jamila that you checked yourself. And I have also checked myself, and I'm sure most of us have at some point, but when you're willing to check yourself, I believe for something that you have done, then you are willing to grow, you are willing to learn, you are willing to change. And if everyone is willing to do that, I think that as a society, we would be a much better society. Uh, this is Matt um, right here. I totally agree with um, that as well. Um, um, I think, you know, just having, you know, a chance for more diverse um, storytelling or, or, or have more um, diverse um, people um, share their stories um with us and and i def um I, I feel like you know we'd be you know expanded you know more you know as you know as a culture and 
And, and, and as I always quote uh, one of my, uh, Dr. Seuss, a person's a person, no matter how small. And that's exactly how I feel like, you know, this discussion was tonight. We all shared um, great experiences, and, and also we also shared some great um, thoughts and lessons that, we, that I would love to see the world um, use. Wonderful responses. Again, thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for coming on today and being very vulnerable. I definitely think there's going to be a part two for sure on this one. I definitely got the vibe that this is going to be a fan favorite for our show because we definitely, as we've seen tonight, there were so many perspectives, so many viewpoints, so many inputs, and a lot of different walks of life. And that is something that we value heavily on the show. So we want to take the moment to say thank you so much to Merida, to Gion, to Jamila, to Max, Matthew, Pilar, Penelope, and Elisa for coming on today, sharing your experiences, sharing your vulnerability, and feeling comfortable among us. So um, thank you everyone for participating today. We appreciate you and are honored to have you on our show. Thank you everyone for sharing your perspectives and opinions, and thank you again for being very vulnerable. This is how we move forward as a society. We must be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Clarity here. Um, yes, thank you everyone for being here today. Um, uh, it's absolutely amazing experience. We've loved hearing everyone's opinions. Um, just to kind of um, wrap up with the uh, more business end of things, we upload our regularly scheduled episodes every Saturday. Um, our hump day PSAs are on Wednesdays. Um, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Um, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, but yeah, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. That was amazing. Um, you guys all had amazing perspectives, and we really loved hearing it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be thank here. Thank you very much. Nice thank, you. thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here.